back to Murder Club into the depths of serial killers. Um, we are here for Ted Bundy Part 2. Uh, I'm going to keep the announcements a little short here so we can get right into things. Um, so this show is going to be a monthly release unless a unless it's warranted to do two episodes. Um, some of them might have to go into two because of the length or how serious the serial killer is um this one obviously he's one of the most notorious serial killers that we have out there or we had out there um so i'm definitely excited for next month's episode um there will be a guest host on that one um it is going to be twitch streamer and an amazing artist irish fox um irish and i will be talking about the zodiac killer this is an unsolved murder or murders um and this guy has never been found who we think it is is already dead um but that should make for an awesome episode that will be released august 26th i hope you're prepared for that now before we get into it hit that like button if you're watching on youtube also hit that subscribe button and leave me a comment let me know how i'm doing if you're listening to this in the podcast world there's numerous podcast places that this is on um follow me on your favorite platform leave me a rating and a review let me know how i'm doing drive this podcast up to the, up the charts and let's get into the episode so we left off with the police starting to catch on and getting close to who is kidnapping and killing these women um bundy relocates to utah a month after the double homicide where he took the two girls into the forest and terrorized them, tortured them, and then killed one in front of the other. Um, this is as the manhunt continues for the abductor. Even more witnesses are coming forward, describing a man who matches Ted Bundy and the car that he is driving. Just a reminder, he was driving a tan Volkswagen Beetle. Um, you know, you bug for anybody that knows. Um, the passenger seat in it was taken out. He did keep the passenger seat so he could put it back in there from time to time. Um, so after moving to Utah, he goes to a law school in Utah and moved to Salt Lake City. <clears throat> the murders in Washington stop at this time, um, but while he's in Utah, he continues to rape and murder young women, including a hitchhiker in Idaho, four teenage girls in Utah, um, Liz, his ex-girlfriend slash girlfriend, they, at this point, they're in that type of relationship where they are dating, what they aren't dating kind of thing. Um, she knew that he was relocating to the area, and when she learned about the murders happening in Utah, she immediately called police to reaffirm her suspicion that Bundy was behind the killings. Um, at this point, a lot of evidence had started to pile up against Bundy, when investigators started compiling the data and comparing it, um, Bundy was at the top of their list at this point. But Bundy would continue killing in Utah, completely unaware of law enforcement's growing interest in him. He was going from Utah to Colorado to murder more young women. Um, in August 1975, Bundy was pulled over while driving through Salt Lake, C a Salt Lake City suburb, and police discovered masked handcuffs, blunt objects, in the early killings and he was then put under surveillance he began murdering and kidnapping in utah in october of 1974 
his first victim would be 16-year-old Nancy Wilcox. Um, she disappeared from Holiday Salt Lake City, Utah. Um, Nancy would be would last be seen as a passenger in the same tanned VW Beetle that matches descriptions for the other kidnappings. Bundy was actually, or Bundy would actually admit to this murder before his execution. He claimed her body was buried 200 miles south of Salt Lake City, but the body was never recovered. Um, which this is also going to be something that happens a lot with Bundy's murders, which is, which was an approximate or so this where 200 miles away from Salt Lake City, that was just an approximate because he couldn't remember. And I think he got off on that, not remembering. I don't, he remembers where it was. He just didn't want police to find it. Um, another woman that was 17 years old named Melissa Smith. What happened around the same time? Melissa was the daughter of police chief, police chief Lewis Smith. Um, Bundy raped her, sodomized her, and strangled her. Her body would be find, found nine days later. I believe it was a few miles away from where she lived. Um, her body would be found nine days after her death. Um, his next victim would be Laura Aim. Laura was 17 years old. Laura would disappear on Halloween. Her parents described her as a gentle free spirit, um, which a lot of girls that he kidnaps are free spirits. Um, her remains would be found a month later on Thanksgiving. Bundy would frequently visit the Utah victims' bodies. He would take pictures. He would put new clothes on them, put makeup on them, do their hair, and he would rape them until they were too putrefied to do it any longer. Same thing he was doing in Washington. So he's continuing the same path that he was on when he was in Washington. So near Salt Lake City on November 8th, Bundy stalked Carol Durant. Um, She was 18 years old at the time. He stalked her at the Fashion, Fashion Place Mall in Murray, Utah. He wrote down her license plate number, waited, her for, waited for her to leave the store. And as she left, he approached her and pretended to be an officer by the name of Officer Roseland. Um, he told her that someone had been trying to break into her car, and he told her that she needed to fill out a police report. He politely offered to take her to the police department. Um, Carol smartly asked for his ID, and he actually presented a police badge. Her instincts were to not go with him, but she did wind up going with him in, in the end. Um, Carol was weirded out by him claiming he was a police officer and he was driving a VW Beetle with a missing passenger seat. But Bundy was claiming that he was undercover. Um, just to be clear, he had put the passenger seat back like I mentioned earlier. Um, he put it back in the car. Um, once Bundy starts driving, Carol, Carol realizes that they are not headed to the police station and she begins to visibly get upset. This upsets him, which is something that happens when women try to say no to him. Um, so Bundy pulls over and attempts to handcuff her because she was upset. It was not a part of his plan. Like her being upset was not a part of his plan. Like once she realizes you're not going in the right direction, like you think she's going to be happy. Um, she begins to fight off Bundy so much so that he ends up putting both of her hands or both of the ends of the handcuffs on the same wrist. Carol then jumps out of the car 
and begins to run away. She gets away and Bundy doesn't run after her. This is going to come back to haunt him in the end. But he doesn't go chase her. He just lets her go. Um, at that point, she probably... He probably thought it wasn't worth it, but he didn't. He obviously didn't think that he would get caught by this or she would go and say something about this, which that's completely stupid. Um, so even undeterred from this, Bundy drives to Viewmont High School, which is about 19 miles away. This He immediately goes after she gets away. He immediately drives 19 miles away to Viewmont High School. Um, this is right after that failed attempt. A theater production was just letting out and he was seen by certain people pacing in the parking lot. They said he was obviously super hopped up and nervous. Um, he would approach people with the police officer's take that he was giving to Carol. So he was doing that to other people. He was unable to lure 17-year-old Deborah Jean Kent. or He was able to lure... 17-year-old Deborah Jean Kent. Um, he adopts her, and she's never seen again at that point. They did, however, find the key to the handcuffs that Bundy put on Carol in the parking lot of the school. So they were able to connect him to the abduction of Deborah. At this point, Bundy was fully starting to lose it and get sloppy. So they find the key that he was using for those handcuffs that are on Carol. So when Carol goes to the police to talk to them about it. And they have a key for handcuffs. They put two and two together. Um, Carol begins working with the police. Um, she would tell them everything she could about Bundy. Um, during this time in 1975, he would drive out to Colorado. Um, after his arrival, five more women are murdered. About nine months after Carol got away. Um, Bundy drops out of law school completely. So he leaves the state. He leaves Utah to go to Colorado because he knows he's fucked at this point. Because one, you, you let one get away. And you were stupid for not thinking that she would go to the police. Two, you dropped a handcuff key. You fucked up there. And you had a lot of witnesses. Which obviously he's not afraid of the witnesses going back and saying something because he was on a beach with 50,000 people and he took two women from the same damn beach. So we know he's not afraid to, to do it in front of a lot of people. Um, so next up on January 12th, 1975, 23-year-old Carolyn Eileen Campbell, a nurse from Michigan, vacationing with her fiance and his two children when she disappeared from the hotel that they were staying at um, on February 18th her body would be found in a snowbank on Owl Creek Road in Aspen so remember we're in Colorado now she's found in Aspen in in a snowbank on Owl Creek Road she was nude had most likely been raped and she was just left there and more than likely, he was going back and doing it over and over again. Um, he had, what, that's a month and six days that she was missing for. Um, so the next victim was on March 15th, 1975. Her name is Julie Cunningham. And this was in Vail, Colorado. She was 26 years old. 
Um, Julie was a part-time ski instructor, and anybody that remembers, he was big into skiing. He loved to ski. So Julie had agreed to meet with her roommate at a bar, but never showed up. Also, I remember earlier, there was another victim that he killed that was someone that gave the weather for skiers on a radio on the radio um julie had agreed to meet with a roommate at the bar um, but never showed up her body was never found but buddy had confessed to her murder before his execution so he was trying to clear his conscience before he was getting executed not very good dude you're still going to hell fuck you um so his next victim would be later on, on April 6th, 1975. Her name is Denise Lynn Oliverson in Grand Junction, Colorado. She had an argument with her husband. She took her push bike and rode to her parents' house. I'm going to guess a push bike is a bike with no pedals on it, maybe? I don't know. Um, Bundy abducted her before she even got there. Um, later on, her husband would report her missing after speaking with her parents and them saying that she never went there. Um, Bundy had claimed that he threw her body into the Colorado River, which is where her bike and shoes were found, but her body was never recovered. This is another one that Bundy admits to right before his execution. May 6, 1975, in Pocatello, Idaho, Lynette Dawn Culver, a 12-year-old, um, unfortunately would be his next victim, um, and she was really, really young, which isn't the only young one that he's going to do. Um, he abducts her from school, and according to his confession, he discarded her body in Snake River, but her body was never found. Um, and that was the only thing he would say about her Obviously, you can guess what he more than likely did with her, um, but he never admits to what he was doing. Um, so June 28th, 1975, in Provo, Utah, um, the next victim is Susan Curtis. She's a 15-year-old, and she disappears from Brigham Young University. Um, Bundy claimed to have buried her body 75 miles away from the university, but she was also never found. Um, so there's been a lot of misconception about how he was caught. Um, but we're going to get down to it right now. So on August 16th, 1975, in a suburban, a suburb of Salt Lake City, Officer Haywood was at the end of his shift. Um, Officer Haywood is an officer in a small town and knows what's going on throughout it. Um, he sees a VW Beetle passing by him a few times going back and forth and he says to himself I don't recognize that car and I've never seen it around um, he takes notice he realizes this is a weird occurrence he also remembers that there are two teenage girls in a house nearby and their parents are on vacation so Bundy was more than likely just casing the area um, trying to basically figure out how he's going to get in there and if they truly are home alone um, so Officer Hayward starts to approach the vehicle and tries to get Bundy to stop, but Bundy wouldn't stop. So this turns into a bit of a car chase, which is kind of stupid if you're trying to make it seem like you're not doing anything. Maybe you're just lost or something because 
you can lie and say you're out of from out of town. Um, but he turns into a car chase, um, and eventually Bundy pulls over. Um, so when Hay Hayward or Haywood approaches the vehicle, he notices that there was no front seat in the vehicle. So Bundy once again takes out the front seat. Um, and the handle is missing on the passenger side. So Haywood then begins to question Bundy on what he was doing. Bundy replies to him he was in town to see a movie called The Towering Inferno. But because Haywood knows this town so well, he also knows that none of the local theaters are showing that movie. And if you're going to see a movie, you're going to make sure that the movie's playing where you're saying. But obviously Bundy was lying. Um, so Officer Haywood knew he was lying. And he also knew that he probably ha he had probable probable cause to look into this car, and so he does. Um, while he's looking, he finds a literal murder kit. Like Bundy had a murder kit in his car, so he was going to murder those two girls. Um, so in this murder kit that Haywood found, he found a ski mask, nylon pantyhose, handcuffs gloves, a crowbar, an ice pick, and trash bags. Bundy immediately was arrested on spot. Because you don't just have those things. Those are suspicious. So Bundy's arrested. Um, Haywood seemed to be going off a hunch that he had with searching and everything that was odd. So you're pacing back and forth in your VW Beetle. Um, you have a missing... Um, passenger side door handle. We know there are two girls that are home alone. The vehicle that was spotted with most of these abductions is a VW Beetle. And by this point, it's got to be national news that uh, something was happening to women in Seattle, in Utah, in Colorado. Um... So that hunch was very, very correct. Um, so, and then what also doesn't help it as well is Bundy is dressed in all black. Which, I mean, sometimes I dress in all black. But I'm not a killer. For real. Not a killer. Um, everybody knows I'm a nice person. Um, Bundy is arrested and the police decide to set up, set a lineup up and have Carol come in to identify Bundy. So, uh, you could just imagine. Bundy's really screwed. Um, Carol comes into the police station, and she picks out Ted Bundy immediately out of this lineup. There's no mistaking it. She picks him out. So, at that point, Ted is immediately arrested on the spot, and once word gets out, all of the other police stations that had murders similar to these started connecting those dots. So everybody's going to start coming together, piecing it all together. Everybody's going to be hot on that trail because they know they have the killer. Now, um, they interview, so police interview Liz, the, like I said, the girlfriend slash ex-girlfriend because they were in a weird type of juncture in their relationship. Um, Liz reveals that Bundy keeps a hatchet under his car seat at, at all times. Um, that they found as well. Um, he has a set of crutches that he, he has never needed, and he has plaster of Paris 
which is what he would use to make the casts that he would wear to try to trick these girls. Um, police also thought that was really suspicious as they know all the women that he approached. He approached them with a cast on his arm. So they knew he was faking it. And now they have proof that he was faking the arm thing and they have proof that he was doing that, that it's him. Um, so Bundy at that point is sent to Utah State Prison and police, mainly Detective Jerry Thompson, um, starts to put together the connection from the Aspen, Colorado incident where in 1977, or yeah, he starts putting together the Aspen, Colorado incident with the other incidents that have happened. Um, so in 1977, Bundy is now extradited back to Colorado in connection to the murder of Karen Campbell, who they originally didn't connect Bundy to. Bundy to. Um, police then search his apartment and they find a brochure from the high school play that he abducted Deborah Kent from. So this fucker was probably there. He probably went in because unless Deborah had the um the the brochure on her, like this was a brochure of the play, like from the play that she was in. So either he was being a creep and he was watching her and then he was pacing or she had the brochure on her and he took it as a souvenir. So like this was clearly like he clearly kept that as a trophy of, hey, look what I did. Um, what they did fail to find in his apartment, though, was a stash of Polaroids of all the victims that he took after they were already dead. This was in a lockbox in the apartment. Like I said, they failed to find that. Shame on them. Um, if you're going to search something, do a thorough search. Come on. Like, you could have... That would be clear cut. It's him that did this. He's in jail. He's going to die in jail. Um, whether it's death penalty or what, this man was going down if you found those Polaroids. Um which I'm guessing they learned about the Polaroids because he said something in the execution before his execution. I'm not 100% sure. Um, they also found a map with an X on it for uh, X on it over a resort where Karen Campbell was staying at. They also found credit card receipts that put him at the resort at the same time Karen and her family was there. Uh, remember Karen was on vacation with her family. They would also find Karen's hair in his car. Um, so at this point, they had found enough to connect Bundy to her murder and the disappearance. Um, so Bundy spends about a year in prison at this point. Um, and at this point, he decides that he's going to be his own attorney. He's decided, I've been through enough law school. I'm going to do it myself. Um, that's not very smart, buddy. Like, he doesn't want an attorney. He wants to do it himself. Um, during court, Bundy demands to be treated differently. Um, he's an egomaniac. So he wants to be treated differently because he's defending himself. He demands to not be shackled while he's doing his studies. Um, and he, he says it because he's an attorney. Basically, he's trying to convince them that he's not a criminal. Um, so he convinces guards to allow him to study in the library 
um, during a recess. Um, and the library is, so it's a two-story courthouse. Um, the library is on the second floor of that courthouse, and the courthouse is below it. Um, they allow this, and they leave him alone for 60 seconds. One minute, they leave him alone for it. And in that minute that they left him alone, he jumps out of a window and escapes into the woods, like into the wilderness in Aspen. Like, he got away. This is how he escapes the first time. Because there's going to be another time he escapes. But this is how he escapes prison, pretty much, the first time. Um, and he's in his, um, he's either in his jump suit or in a suit itself. I can't remember exactly what it was. Um, so he jumps out of the second story and this is a relatively big jump. Like it's pretty far down. If you've ever been to a two story house or a two story apartment, you know how far, how far down it is. Um, he somehow doesn't break his legs. However, he does injure himself during the fall. So he ends up living in the Aspen wilderness for six days. Um, and from what reports say, he like, he was rough after six days of living in there. Like he had a pretty thick beard. Um, he didn't look like himself. While he's in the wilderness, he stole clothes, food. He ravaged cabins when people were out of them. Um, and then six days later, he steals a car and was pulled over for driving erratically. You think if you're trying to get away and you just escaped a courthouse where you were being held, you would think you wouldn't do anything stupid to get yourself caught again. But he does get caught again. Um, like I said, talk about a situation you don't want to get caught in. You're doing stupid shit like that where you're driving erratically. I think it was speeding and weaving. Um, but you're doing something stupid to bring attention to yourself. Don't bring attention to yourself if you're trying to get away. Like, come on, dude. What the hell? Um, so Ted was arrested again and put in another prison um, in Utah, I believe it was. Or no, in Colorado. In Colorado. Sorry about that. So seven months later, at 31 years old, he manages to acquire a hacksaw blade from another inmate. He also manages to acquire over $500. Um, and this was coming from pen pals and different groupies that would send him the money. So people were sending him money. These are sick ass people. Like, you know what he was doing and you're sending him money. Like, I just don't understand the mentality of certain people. Like, why would you send a murderer Bundy money? I mean, that's just like Marilyn Manson or not Marilyn Manson, uh, Charles Manson. Charles Manson was getting money. He was like people were coming in to marry him like women were coming in to marry him like he was having sex on death row like what the fuck like what is wrong with people that they would do this type of shit um so he would take that hacksaw blade and he would start to cut a hole in the corner of the ceiling in his cell um, and it was a very small hole, so guards, you wouldn't be able to see it unless you were looking at it. Like, so you, you would have to go into the cell in order to see this hole. If you were standing from the outside, you're really not going to see it. Um, so Bundy, over a period of time, he would lose 30 pounds in order to fit in that hole. Um, so, yeah, in order to fit in that hole, he lost that weight. Um, that way he can get 
get through it and everything. Um, he then waits for a holiday break for his escape because he knows that there would be less guards at that jail. Um, he would do dry ones, dry runs to plan his escape weeks before he actually did it. Um, and the way he got out was that he would shimmy into the hole and went through the pipes. So like went around and through and everything through the pipes. Um, inmates would hear Bundy crawling around in the ceiling. And even though they were being truthful, they were being ignored by, uh, no, uh, ignored by guards. Come on. How do you ignore somebody telling you that? I guess I know they're inmates and you don't, I don't know what they were in for, but like if they're telling you that, Hey, we're hearing something in the ceiling, like just take a look into it. Like go do roll call, look at the cells, see, see if everybody's in their cell. Cause you know that at this point, if they're complaining and they're saying somebody's they're they're hearing something up above, you know, everybody's in their cells. Nobody's out doing anything. So why not just go take a look, do roll call, see if everybody's in their cell. Cause at that point, if you did that and you seen him not in there, high alert, lock everything down and the dude wouldn't escape. You can go patch up the hole with some concrete and this fucker never gets back out to do anything again. Um, so on new year's Eve, when no one was really going to be there, Bundy would crawl through the hole and come out of the head jailer's apartment. So the head jailer was not there. He was out, I believe, with family that night. Um, Bundy would put on some of the jailer's street clothes that were left there, and he would walk right out the front door. So this man got out of his jumpsuit, put on the head jailer's clothes, and left. Um, and this is all because of how little there were of guards on duty at the time. Um, Bundy not being in his cell would go undetected until the very next day. So they don't do roll call. They don't check. You don't have anybody going down the hallways, looking at these cells. Like you've got a known fucking killer in your jail and you're not walking the halls and checking to make sure that everything's good. You're, you're literally just, you literally just fuck this whole situation. You let him get out. So that would give him ample time to get away, to get out of basically where he's at. And we'll talk about that here in a moment. This literally gives him enough time. So you're talking, this is probably before the new year rang in. He gets out and he starts going, just goes. And nobody's going to find him until the very, or nobody's going to find out until the very next day that this was happening or that that had happened. Um, so Bun when Bundy left, he headed to Chicago. He then takes a train to Michigan. He then steals a car and heads to the Atlanta area where he takes a bus to Florida. So he steals a car Well, he heads to Chicago. So he's in Colorado. I don't know how far Colorado and Chicago are. Um, let's look it up real quick. How far is Chicago? From Colorado. 
so it's about 15 hours on in a car you're talking 348 hours so he's not he's not walking it he's not on a bike because that's 94 hours um so more than likely he probably stole a car to get to chicago um but he gets to chicago he takes the train to michigan he steals a car heads to atlanta and then takes the bus to florida when he gets to florida he makes his way to tallahassee we all know what's in tallahassee um he plans to retire in florida and be a normal guy the problem was that he wanted to be a legitimate employee but he could not get the fake information that he needs so like anybody can go lie and go get a driver's license like you can get a fake driver's license you can go get a fake social security number but the stuff you need for employment like that information he couldn't get a hold of i mean i'm sure there were ways to get a hold of that stuff but he couldn't at that point like i guess he probably didn't know anybody because he's clearly way across the country now from where his home was um so this would be where bundy starts to go completely off the rails um, Bundy would move into a boarding house on the Florida State University campus. He's posing now as a grad student on the campus, and he used the name Chris Hagen. Um, so he starts attending lectures, pretending to be the student, and which is normal. You can get on to, or you can, if, as long as you're in campus, you can get into any lectures you pretty much want. And nobody's really going to question you when you obviously can leave. You can come and go as you please, pretty much. Um, and that's what people were saying that this this happened. He would just come in and just sit down and listen to the class lectures that are going on. Um, so this is also where the key Omega murders happen. I think it's key. The Kai. Kai Omega murders happen. The Chi Omega murders are things of legend, and they are very, very brutal. So, get ready, gear up for this. Because it's going to be a wild one. Um, so, January 15th, 1978, Ted decides to go to a club. And that's not too, too far from campus. Um, he's trying to pick up college girl or pick up on college girls. And he's being weird about it. Like, he's just, eh. Um, these college girls at the club were like, eh, no, that's, no, we're okay. We're okay. You're being really weird. And they kind of kept their diff distance um, from him. Um, these girls weren't having any of his shit. And that would really piss off Bundy because he was so used to getting his way, manipulating people to get his way. Um, but these girls were not having it. Um, so he went into the night looking to pick up a girl, um, and things were not going according to his plan. Obviously we know where that's going if he was going to pick up a girl at that club, but in clubs, a lot of times women are in groups of friends and you're all dancing together and everything. So that probably wasn't his best plan. I mean, he could have probably caught somebody off guard going to the bathroom, but even at clubs, girls tend to go to the bathroom together. But he just didn't have a plan. Um, the girls there also said he was starting to... He looked a little rough around the edges physically. 
Um, so that didn't help his case there either. I mean, he's 31 years old. These are 18 year olds. Like these girls can tell he's not their age. Um, but he was addicted to this and was getting pissed off because he was not able to get his fix like he normally would. Um, next door to this club was the Chi Omega sorority. He had been there earlier in the day and knew that there was an unlocked door. So he's case he, he cased out the place and it seems like he cased out a couple of places in this area, but he knew there was an unlocked door, which isn't uncommon in sorority houses and fraternity houses. Um, back then, at least you knew people weren't locking the doors as much. Um, there wasn't nobody, nobody feared shit like this and social media wasn't there like it is today where you hear about more of this stuff like something can happen in washington today and i know about it 10 minutes after it happened where versus back then if you weren't watching tv if something happened on a day and you weren't watching tv like you didn't find out about it until the next day or the day after when it was in the paper or something, or if it was on radio or something, it's not like how police today will post something right to Twitter or Facebook, um, letting you know what's going on. And that just travels because everybody shares it. Move news moved a little slower back then. Um, he waited until all the girls were in the house and asleep. He picks up a log that was outside, goes into the house and just goes on a brutal fucking rampage. Um, so first he starts out with 21 year old Margaret Elizabeth Bowman. Um, she's the first victim. Her skull was caved in while she was asleep. Um, Bundy would then take a nylon stocking and wraps it around her throat and he pulls it or he pulls it around her throat or around her neck so hard that it almost broke her neck and your neck is a hard thing to break. Like, it's not like in these movies where you just see like Arnold or Sylvester Stallone and they just like pull on it and it breaks. No, no, you, it's very, very hard to break a neck. It's not that easy. This, this isn't movies. Um, in morbid, in the morbid podcast, one of the girls, Elena is a, um, was it? She's, she works in the morgue um, and she was talking about they have to use like she garden shears in order to break those bones. That's how hard it is to break them. You're not breaking them with your hands. Um, so next up was 20 year old Lisa Levy. Um, when police arrived, they found her in a room still alive, but with no pulse. Um, she would pass away. She would pass away on the way to the hospital um, when they when they found her, her nipple was almost torn off, her collarbone was broken, and she had been strangled. And a hair, a hairspray bottle was forced inside of her by Bundy. Wow. Um, Bundy also had left a bite mark on her buttock, um, leaving a, and this left a very intense mark, and that is what they would also use to convict him because they took a dental mold during the trial. They like took a dental mold from him during the trial. Um, and that is how they would identify him. He had like a chipped tooth and that was like what was unique to him because of the way it was chipped. Um, 
and that chip left uh, an imprint, so you knew it was him. Um, the next victim is Karen Chandler, um, who survives his attack. Um, Bundy beats her, and after he flees the scene, police would find her just completely out of it. Like, she was disoriented, she was delusional, um, so she's still alive. She sustains a fractured skull, broken jaw, and multiple teeth were missing because of how badly he had beaten her. So she's still alive. She's completely out of it. She has life-changing, like life-altering injuries. And she just doesn't know what happened. Um, she just, she's done for. Like she, wow. Um, and I believe she doesn't, she's, she doesn't talk about this at all, ever. Um, <clears throat> so the next victim would be 20-year-old Kathy Kleiner. Um, Kathy was found sitting up in her bed um, with multiple lacerations to the head. Her jaw broken in several places. She survives, but she would also never talk about, she would also not, re she didn't remember the attack. Um, she was asleep when she was attacked. But like I said, she survived. So she doesn't remember a single thing that happened during this attack. That's how badly beaten she was. Like, um, And to this day, she still doesn't remember everything. Um, so after that one, that's when Bundy leaves the house. And he's still carrying that log that he was beating the women with. Um, at that point, women were returning to the sorority house. Um, and as they were going in and he's coming out, they see him with the log in his hand. Another man saw him with the log walking down the street. Um, and obviously you can see Bundy at this point just does not give a fuck. He's like in a trance. He does not care. Um, but he doesn't leave the area though. He's pretty much still in that area, like still in that crime scene area. And he breaks into another house. Um, this house was about eight blocks away from that sorority house. Um, this house belonged to 21-year-old Cheryl Thompson. Um, Bundy proceeds to the basement where her bedroom is. Um, and she has a lot of roommates in this house. But he proceeds to the basement. So he had to have cases to know she was down there. Um, he gets to the basement and savagely, ruthlessly, gruesomely, heinously beats her. Um, the noise from this would wake up all of her neighbors. Um, they said the thumps from her, from him smashing her head into the walls could be heard throughout the house. One person would say that they banged on the wall wondering what the hell was going on. Like, you know, if you've lived in an apartment, you know, like when somebody's making a lot of noise, you're going to bang on the wall to get them to stop. Um, but he was wondering, or they were wondering what the hell was going on. She suffered serious head wounds, multiple fractures in her skull, a broken jaw, and her shoulder was dislocated. Bundy would then masturbate in her bed with her in it. Um, somehow, Cheryl survives this gruesome attack, this gruesome, heinous, horrendous attack. Um, though she had life-changing injuries, including hearing loss in one of her ears, irreparable cranial damage, um, that affects her equilibrium. So basically, like, when she moves and everything, she has a lot of vertigo. Um, Cheryl was a dancer, and Bundy just had ruined her life. Like, 
she's like I said, life changing. Like she's not able to do what she was doing before. Um, later that night, Bundy would go back. He later on that night after this one, he would just go back to the boarding house that he was living at. So it seems as though he probably got another set of clothes. He probably stole them from somewhere to change because you gotta imagine he's completely bloody, which. If he's leaving the sorority house to go to this house where he kills this girl, I don't understand how people, one, don't see the log that's bloody, and two, don't see him covered in blood. Because you know these girls were bleeding. So I don't I don't get, maybe it was just too dark, but like, if there's streetlights out there, how do you not see this man covered in blood? Um, yeah, I just don't get that. So he goes back to the boarding house. Um, people who lived there had spoke with him said that he was literally just insane. It was like they were talking to a beast, not talking to a man. He was completely unhinged. And it wasn't like, like I said, it wasn't like they were talking to a human being. So he was clearly in a murderous trance at this point. And then like, so that all happens. They, they talk to him. He's like this. And just time goes by. Um, so the next victim would be on February 9th. Um, it's a 12 year old Kimberly Leach. Um, she was in a PE lesson in school. She requested to get her purse from where she was keeping it in the school. Um, while she was retrieving her purse, she was being led off the grounds by an irate man. Um, no one reported this thinking that it was her father. I mean, come on, if you got an irate man leading a kid off of the campus, he's irate for a reason, like question it, go after it, like see what's going on because you don't know what's going to happen to that kid, whether it's her father or not, like you need to make sure that child is safe. Like that's a duty. And like we've been talking about in the King Vic show podcast, that's the duty of a school to make sure your children are safe. Like, come on. How do you just let this girl go with an irate man without questioning any of it? Hello, McFly. What the hell? But they let her go. No one reports it. Um, that was not her father taking her off of school grounds, which that's another thing. Like, did they not have checkout systems back in the day like that? Like, if your child, if the child's not being checked out at the front office, but the child's in school, like. We didn't think you, you guys didn't think back then that like, that's wrong. Like I know when I was in school, granted it's almost 20 years ago now, but when I was in school, like if you were leaving school, unless you were in a program that lets you like dual enrollment where you were going to college, somebody had to check you out of school. You weren't just walking off campus with somebody. Um, so yeah, that just didn't make sense. That doesn't make sense. Um, so when her father learned that she had missed the rest of school, the rest of classes that day, police were called. So they were calling her, calling him to let him know that his daughter missed school the rest of the day, even though they thought she was leaving with him. She was, he was called, let known that she had missed classes the rest of the day. And then he calls police. Um, a search was conducted and two months later, um, her body was discovered in a pig pen 40 miles outside of the city. She was sexually assaulted and strangled 
And as far as we know, this would be Ted's last victim. Um, it's like 36 accounted for victims and unaccounted or what they try to tie to him is around a hundred or so. Um, but he confesses to 36 of them. Not all 36 are found. Um, like before, some were only found in skulls. Some just weren't found at all. Um, so Bundy was arrested again, and he would want to act as his own, own attorney again. There goes the egomaniac coming out again. You think this is going to be good? And something like this, like acting as your own attorney, like him being a law student and studying law, he knows that like you can appeal the shit out of this because you could say I didn't have a fair trial. Even though you waived your rights to a lawyer, he, he knows what he's doing at this point. Um, so you can see in a video that he was tr still trying to control the narrative um, during this entire thing. And I'll put, a vi I'll put multiple videos of certain parts of the trial down in the description or in the show notes. Um, he was even interviewing all of the females that he attacked. A lot of the survivors recall that they would even have to talk about how they had to sit across from him from him at a table and be cross-examined by him. How did that happen? Like, how, how was that allowed? Like, you've got a dude that tried to murder them and he murdered other women. He murdered 36 women and what, four, of, four women got away? So 40 people he victimized and you're letting him cross-examine these women. Um, one of the survivors, I couldn't figure out who, um, I just couldn't find a name on who it was from all the research I was doing. But one of the survivors said that she refused to give him what he wanted. Um, she could just see that he wanted to relish and relive in that night, like that he was going to get off by that. And she just did not, she wouldn't give it to him. And there was another woman that did the same thing. There was another victim that did the same thing. They did not want to give him the satisfaction of reliving that night through their eyes because they know he was getting off on it. Um, she would only give him yes or no answers and would not give in to what he wanted. She says that he was being very calm and collected while asking these questions. But then all of the sudden, when he got aggravated that she wouldn't answer anything, he was asking Bundy proceeded to slam his hands on a desk like and he, he said directly to her in court which I don't understand how this he didn't get held in contempt or anything for this but he yelled in court you have to fucking answer me what the fuck um, she looked at him and was like that's the monster right there and he can't control it so she got by her doing this she got the monster to come back out. She got the monster to show itself in court so everybody could see this is what we went through while we were being attacked. Um, like she, she says, that's what we all saw. There's one video, and I found it. It's going to be in the show notes where Bundy is in a suit, and he can, and you can see he's clearly aggravated. He's trying to act calm, cool, and collected. But you can see he's aggravated. A guard grabs his arm to take him away. 
and Bundy snatches away, ripping his arm away from him. Basically like, don't touch me kind of thing. Um, at one moment, he's charming Ted Bundy. And when things aren't going his way, he just snaps. And that is what these women saw before and during his attacks. In the end, Bundy was grasping for straws as he didn't want to die. Um, but Bundy is your prototypical serial killer. If I can explain it in any other way, he's like your holy grail of serial killers. Like, he is it. Like, Bundy is that, like, serial killer of serial killers. Like, he was trying to emulate um, Jack the Ripper. He was trying to one-up Jack the Ripper in everything he was doing. He was trying to be the most notorious serial killer there ever was. And honestly, he, he achieved that. Like, he's one of the most notorious serial killers in history. So on the day of his execution, people were camped outside of where he was at being executed. Um, and they were tailgating. I get the whole tailgating thing. I get that, hey, we're taking this, this killer off the streets. I, I don't know, like celebration for what was going to happen, I guess. Um, and they were all chanting burn Bundy burn. I, I get where they were coming from, but yeah. So Bundy was trying to get a stay of execution. He was doing everything he could to get that stay of execution. Um, he would put the blame on porn and was trying to get people to spread the word that porn was bad and make you do these things. So he got a hold of an evangelical type person and he was trying to spread that word with that person to get a lot of people behind him so that way he can get a state of execution. And it didn't didn't really work out, dude. Like come on. Who 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 watches porn and then goes out and kills people? Obviously you, but or obviously him. But, like, come on. No grown man I know watches porn and then decides, hey, I want to go kill people. That's just like these little fuckers that say, oh, because they were listening to Marilyn Manson or they were listening to something like that, that the music corrupted them and the music is what told them to go shoot up a place. Or you're watching all these horror films and that's what made this person go shoot up or or slash up high school. No, they do it because there's something mentally wrong with them and they're sick. They don't do it because a song was telling them to do it. So Bundy wanted to tell the youth of America to not look at porn. Porn is bad. What the fuck ever dude. Um, Bundy was found guilty of all of the murders and given the death sentence. He would die in the electric chair on January 24th, 1989 and on that day, that would be the end of Ted Bundy. Which, electric chair, damn. Oh. I don't understand. Like, I think, if I remember correctly back then, you get to choose how you go out, whether it's electric chair or lethal injection. I I just don't get the electrical chair thing. Like, you're getting, you're getting voltage through you. To me, that would be more painful than anything. 
let's see. Um, I just don't get that part of it. All right, so just so th for those that don't know, um, for the electrical chair, um, it's a system that contains three electrodes. The head should be fitted with a tightly fitting cap. So your, all your hair on your body is removed at that when you go into the electrical chair, um, that cap contains an electrode with a saline solution, moistened sponge. It is through this electrode that the current is introduced. Um, each ankle would be tightly fitted with an electrode, causing the current to divide and guaranteeing passage through the complete trunk of the subject's body. Um, use one electro or angle electrode instead of two will almost ensure a longer and more difficult electrocution. Um, the two ankle electrodes electrodes are the return of return path of the current. Um, contact should be enhanced by using saline salve or a sponge moistened with a saline solution at each of the ankle connections. It is of the utmost importance that good circuit con continuity with a minimum amount of resistance be maintained at the electrode contacts. Further, a minimum of 2000 volts AC must be maintained after voltage drop to guarantee permanent disruption of the functioning of the autonomic nervous system. Voltage lower than 2000 volts AC as saturation cannot guarantee heart death and are thus not adequate for electrocution um, in that they may cause unnecessary trauma to the subject prior to death failure to adhere to these um, these basic requirements could result in pain to the subject and failure to achieve heart death leaving a brain dead subject in the chair um, so during the electrocution um, the conscious and automatic nerve systems voltages in excess of 1500 volts are generally sufficient to destroy the conscious nervous system that controls pain and understanding. Generally, unconsciousness occurs in 4.16 milliseconds, which is one 240th part of a second. This is a 24... This is 24 times as fast as the subject's conscious nervous system can record pain. So they started out at 2000 volts to seize the pacemaker in the subject's heart. Generally, they compute the voltage at 2000 volts plus 20%. After the voltage voltage is applied and the subject's body saturates, the voltage has been dropped about 10% depending upon the resistance of the electrode contacts that and that of the subject body. And this should be taken into consideration as well. Current should be kept under six amperes to minimize body damage. So yeah. So like with just for an example, if a person weighs 154 pounds, they require 2000 volts to seize the heart. Um, so 2000 volts 
plus 20% equals 2400 volts increased or increased voltage by 10% for drop saturation. So the increase in voltage from 2400 plus 10% is 2640. Um, so that's the voltage that that type of person would take in order to get their heart to stop. So why you would go with that versus why you would go with lethal injection. Th lethal injection seems more of a less painful thing, but really not at the same time. Like I personally would not go electrocution because that just doesn't sound like a good thing to do. Um, but the man is dead. Thank God they got it right. They executed him quickly. So, well, no, it was four years later they executed him. So they, they got it right. They made sure he didn't escape again. He's gone. Um, but man, that was definitely a ride. And there are a lot of things that I didn't know about this case. Honestly, as long as they kept him locked up and able to keep him from not escaping, ex or as long as they were to, to keep him locked up and not escaping, um, it would have been interesting to know what he was thinking. Like basically have him in there with a psychiatrist, sit with him and dig into his brain and find out what was really going on with him. Towards the end, before his execution, he was more open to talking about these things. Um, so it would have been nice to learn what was going through this serial killer's mind. So that way we could have put that to others. So that way it might have helped out police departments to figure out what was going on, what goes on in a serial killer's mind while they're doing these type of things. But people back then didn't think what we could learn. Um, but like I said, he was willing to talk more about this. And honestly, his brain could have been picked a little bit more. They could have gone a little bit more in depth with this. And I mean, four years since that trial, they, they should have done something like this. They should have picked more into his brain. They should have got a lot more deeper into it, but I guess you didn't, they didn't think about these type of things back then. Um, like I said, we could have learned a lot more about what a serial killer is thinking as they are going through these things, especially since he is one of the most notorious serial killers in history. Now, don't get me wrong. They got the verdict and the execution right. He deserved to die for what he did. And I hope he's rotting in hell because that is what he deserves. He did not deserve to live even the four years after that. Like, I'm not a proponent of the death penalty. I think if you're going out there murdering women or if you're murdering anybody, you deserve to sit and rot for the rest of your life. Like I get these families probably wanted him dead and I've never been through that type of thing. So I can't speak from personal experience, but these type of people should have to sit in jail and I know it takes taxpayer dollars so if you're listening to this and you're like oh it takes taxpayer dollars these people should have to sit and live with what they did inside of a jail cell confined to themselves with no way of escaping and have to let that sit there and eat at them because you know this man was like mm, I'm getting executed anyway 
I don't have to live with this. The families that are victims of the family, the families of the victims have to live with this. And I've changed their lives forever. You know, that's exactly what he was thinking. But he's dead. That's a good thing. So that is going to be it for this episode, ladies and gentlemen. Next up on the docket is going to be a good one as well. Um, like I said, we'll be having a special host with me, um, Irish Fox. Um, if you don't have her on Twitch or Twitter, I will leave her stuff, her information at the top of the description. Um, we're going to be going over the Zodiac Killer, like I said before, and I'm really looking forward to this one because this one's, it's, I'm, honestly, this is probably going to be a two-parter, but this one is one of the most intriguing serial killers out there, especially since he hasn't been found and the notes that he was sending out with all of this. Um, it's a strange and weird unsolved case that to this day, no one knows who the killer is. They have thoughts on who the killer is. And I believe it was like three cryptic messages that he put out and only one of them has been solved. Um, and like I said, at the beginning of the show, this episode will air August 26th. Um, a lot of research is going to go into that episode as well as like how much research went into this episode. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed every moment of this, maybe learn something new about this. And remember hit that like button, hit the follow button, hit subscribe, leave a rating and a review and don't do anything that would put you into a situation that you're going to, you're going to be near a VW bug. All right, everybody. Y'all have a great night and I will see you on August 26th.